<clears throat> let, let us turn uh, first of all to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. You know, ex excuse me, verse 1 actually. Give it more of a, a context. Colossians chapter 2 verse 1. So this is what Paul says. He says, um, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this that I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see you to see how disciplined you are and how firm you are, how firm your faith is in Christ. And so first of all in verse one he he's wanting them to know how much he is contending for them, how much he is uh, fighting for them. And one of the things that we have to understand is that uh, to help people grow is it requires discipline, uh, a discipline of the persons helping them to grow, a discipline that channels much of their energy and their resources to make sure that these people are going to be conformed to the image of Christ by teaching them and praying for them, being patient with faults. And so it, it's not an easy task of his. You know, one of the things um, I thought when I was younger, when I first started into the ministry, I thought that, you know, much of it was just preaching behind the pulpit. And um, that can be very attractive to some people. And it, it is, it's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing when you're barely beginning to maybe sing for God or, 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 you know, preach or, you know, start stepping into some of your roles more. Um, uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, uh, especially for ministers. Uh, if at all, uh, you want to correct people with the word, it's a, it's a contending, it's a fight. Um, because you get resistance uh, and pushback and you get uh, pride in the way you get stubbornness and you get uh, the devil exploiting people and sowing seeds of dissension and factions and division and, and you have to constantly correct it the way that I think um, I don't know if you've ever seen those people who hold these like little sticks and there's a plate and they spin it and they're like spinning several plates well, that's kind of how ministry is. Uh, it, it's in ministry. It's like you're wanting to balance all of this and keep spinning it. And every time you see it begin to slow down, you have to spin it again. Or it's like a firefighter that never gets to put out a fire, and he just has two water hoses spinning around, just trying to manage fires. Does that make sense? Because. Uh, as soon as you attempt to put a, put out a fire, Satan casts another, and so you just get to a place to where you manage fires and you don't really get to put them out fully. Um, and every once in a while, 
I think uh, you succeed in putting one out. But um, anyways, I'm just giving an analogy here and um, about how difficult uh, laboring in ministry is. And it's, it's a contending, it's a fighting. If anybody at all says that ministry is fun, um, then they have a shallow view of God. They do. And they have a very unspiritual life. Um, and I can say that with authority. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't exciting times, but for someone to characterize ministry as fun is actually a very immature, childish way of viewing it. And they are in ministry because of more of what they get out of it than what uh, they seek to give to the people of God. Ministry is not about us. It's about serving. It's about advancing the purposes of God on earth. That's what it's about. It's not about us. Um, the, again, there won't. I'm not saying that there won't be things that we find joyous in it. Um, let, let me let me let me share this. And and this doesn't necessarily have to apply to the word. It can apply to anything else. How does our hearts respond to not uh, getting invited to minister somewhere or to do something for God? You get put on the shelf. And now, do you sink in in uh, sorrow? Do you sink in in uh, unhappiness? Uh, what is the response of the heart? And if the response is um, not happy, then that is telling of where we are truly at. Um, because the reason why I say that is because if we're so self-absorbed in what we do then it's not about Christ. It's not about Him. Do you see? If we are so self-absorbed where, um, and this is where unfortunately people who do have their self-absorbed desires fulfilled are the people that are um, getting invited everywhere and then they're, they're, they get big heads or they feel like they're in the club or like they're included or it's all about me, look at me. Me, me, me. It's all immature flesh. And and this is important because while you have your own life of, you know, building your life in, in terms of uh, maybe career and stuff, but God has called us to our individual respected calls and ministries in which we help to serve the body of Christ. You know, um, the, the, the apostle who fathered me, I remember he said, um, one time he corrected me. And uh, he says, you know, um, he says, everybody doesn't mind being called a servant of God. People just don't want you to treat them like one. I'll say that again. He said this, you know, he didn't say it during the preaching where I could, oh, you know, let me get that, let me write that down. He asked me to do something in the church. And I said, no. And then he pulled me aside sometime later. He says, you know, brother, he said, uh, er, you know, everybody don't mind being called a servant of God. They just don't want you to treat them like one. He says, when I tell you, when I tell you to do something next time you do it. And I was like, whoa. And that hurt. Because you know why? Because we can suppress things in our conscience. But when someone else tells you and confronts you, 
then it doesn't feel good. You can't just ignore it. it it's, you squirm. Right? But what did David say? He said, let a righteous man smite me on my head and rebuke me and I will consider it. He says, I, I, I will. Uh, it's like anointing to my head is what he said. <coughs> and so, um, but, you know, that, that caused me to grow. That caused me to grow. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I'd be a liar to say that there weren't times I cried. I, as a grown man had cried being corrected because it hurts. And, uh, and so I say this because I want our hearts to be able to be receptive to this because one other thing he told me is this. He said, brother, if you can't take correction, how are you going to deal with the devil molesting your mind and victimizing you? and telling you every lie in the book if you can't be corrected by a man who who loves you is building you up in Christ how are you going to deal with the lies of Satan he's a whole lot more malicious and won't have mercy on you and, uh, and that made a lot of sense it's true and so it helps to build us up and fortify us and toughen our skin um, but verse 2 he says my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. One thing I want to point out here is that you will lack understanding if there is no purpose to unite in love. Because Paul is linking these two here together. He's saying that we need to be able to, uh, the way that we reach a full understanding of these riches of Christ is to be united in love. Right? Um that's why, you know, for, see, someone may know a lot of Bible, um, but if our hearts lack intimacy with God, then we don't really know anything. I, I, can, I can tell you the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the, you know, give you biblical studies and everything, but if there's a heart that lacks intimacy with God, then I know nothing indeed. I, I know not as I ought. Um, I'm a resounding gong. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just a clanging cymbal. I'm making noise, but there isn't real substance because the man who loves God knows God. The man who loves God most knows God most. And so some people unfortunately love the word of God more than they love God. They, this is why, um, you know, you can meet scholars that read a lot and their knowledge is very impressive. You would think that they're God's chosen, like God's best. But then you ask them, what does your life of worship look like? Do you cry before his presence? Do you lay prostrate before him? Not because you even need anything, but because you want him. And they're so estranged to this thing, they don't know what you're talking about. They would think you're like from Mars or something, like you're bringing some alien doctrine, right? Like, what is this stuff? You, you sound like you're introducing new age practices. What do you mean sob before his presence for, you know, extended period of time? I, unfortunately, I heard John MacArthur say that one time about Ian Bounds because he read uh, Ian Bounds' book on prayer and uh, there was a catalog of men of God who 
uh, spent uh, countless hours in prayer and he said he didn't have a reference point for that he didn't know how to understand that because from their from their perspective all they can relate to is um, you know five minutes ten minutes saying their prayers um, and it's a very religious practice but when you've come to meet the living God when you've come to meet the living Christ and you have a, a radical encounter with the Lord and you can taste his presence then you know that it's only until you're in alignment with that, your spirit is in alignment with his spirit, that you can then tap into those depths, the depths of who he is, the depths of his word, the depths of his person. And for those who don't know the depths of his person, will never come to truly understand the word. Because the words that he has spoken are spirit. Right? Didn't Jesus say that? The words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So that you have dead man trying to interpret living words. Dead men. Or or Christians that are on life support. They're famished. They they they're they're uh lacking, you know, food and, and water and they're trying to compete in a race. And they're trying to tell you how the race pans out and it, it doesn't make sense. You have to be well nourished and, and united to the living Christ, intimate with him to have a full understanding of his riches. Right? So, <clears throat> and here's the thing about it. Um, I heard this quote before and uh, he said, um, you cannot be rich towards God and poor towards man. You, you can't be rich towards God and poor towards man. And so Paul's focus here is that he wants everybody to be united and love the church. Right? And, and it's because if I say I know God and I'm close to God, but I treat my brother or sister like trash, then do I love them indeed? Do I love God indeed? Right? That doesn't mean that everybody is going to be a smooth sail. Because, uh, you know, for some brothers and sisters, you need like extra compassion and extra patience because they're like really rough. <laughs> you, you, you can think, you can dismiss me and say, I'm just, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about or it's carnal. But it's true. Uh, you need extra patience with uh, certain people because uh, in the body of Christ. And, you know, people don't like that. They think that it, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is with a lot of the church today. Um, I think that they think of Jesus as like a hippie. And I say that respectfully. I really do think that they think Jesus is a hippie. Um, and it's just you know, peace, peace, and it's just, you know, smiles all the time. But um, that is a wrong image. Um, so that's just not reality. And so my point, though, is that, you know, the Bible says if we have ought with our brother or sister, we have to leave our gift at the altar and then go and be reconciled. Right? I, I, that's what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. And so it, it is beyond me. I've, I've seen brothers and sisters, they, they will get in a, in a 
terrible fight with a brother or sister and then they're like in a worship service like, you know crying and like i'm like you're just you're in your emotions you're not experiencing god you know why because god is closing his ears to you i don't know what you're doing i i don't i don't think that's impressive at all it's it's ridiculous and it's ridiculous because the most the the the, the important thing is that you're supposed to value that and you're supposed to maintenance those relationships and you, you are just somehow so self-absorbed and concerned about getting your fix I'm just gonna get this emotional fix now I'm not saying um, that it's wrong to then go to God maybe you you've dealt you, you have so much so many walls around your heart you're saying God help me to reconcile to them Okay, that's appropriate. Maybe you are lacking in strength to reconcile with someone, but that should be your aim. And and for you to have no conviction at all, then I I would doubt that you ever you even hear from God. How can how can you disrespect the one whom he has died for and then just go and worship the one who died for you? No, it don't work that way. And so <coughs> it says that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So there's riches in understanding. So if something's rich, if, you know, for example, I, I hate to use him as an example only because he's a wicked man, but Bill Gates, he's a billionaire, so he's rich. So there's, a, there's an abundance to his, his uh, possessions. And you cannot collect the possessions immediately. It will take a long time to acquire. It has taken him a long time to acquire the possessions that he has, but God has infinite riches, and therefore there is a lifelong collection of His riches, the riches of His understanding, the riches of of understanding who He is. Right. So we are. That is to say, we are progressively growing in our knowledge of who God is, and that should continually be our pursuit. The man who is content or the woman who is content with their relationship with God and desires to go no further has not tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They've tasted religion. They've tasted, you know, camp experiences. They've tasted church, but they haven't tasted Christ. Um, so he says, In order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's it's in Christ that are hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, <clears throat> now notice it didn't say in Jesus. And that's a, a very important distinction. It didn't say in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It says in Christ. Okay. Now why is that significant? Because there are people who preach Jesus. They even preach the cross. But they are unacquainted with the Christ. They are unfamiliar with what's the word Christ. It's the word Christos that is translated Christ or anointing. They know not the anointing. 
And so they'll they'll tell you who Jesus is. They'll say, yo, Jesus loves you, bro. Hey, man, you know, he died for you. And they'll tell you true things. But they have no relation to the anointing. No connection to that anointing. Because the anointing um, is something that was poured out after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. So it, the anointing is an experiential thing. You must experience the anointing. You must experience that. The, the, the living Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because without that, you, you will lack perception, you will lack strength, you will lack capacity, you will lack stature, you will lack all that is necessary to satisfy the demands of the Christian life. And, um, and and let me say this too: if you do not, if you're not acquainted with that with that anointing, if you're not in tune with that anointing, you'll continue to be a religious person. You'll say good things. You you'll you'll say a lot of good religious cliches, right? Um, like what would Jesus do, right? And a lot of these people are sincere, but sincerity of heart is not enough. There are very sincere uh, religious people that are unspiritual. They're emotional, they're soulish, but they're not spiritual. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. You, let, me, let me give you an example. If you rebuke a religious person, a soulish person, they'll say that's not loving. And they'll, they'll cry about it, and then they'll say this person's mean. Right? But a spiritual person will embrace that and understand uh, that the words that they're being corrected with are spiritual words. 2 Timothy 3.16 The word of God is useful for correction, training in righteousness, so on and so forth. A religious person will say, I don't think I should pray that long. You know, God hears my prayers at first. And that's all I have to do. Like, this sounds good. Don't You know, this sounds reasonable, right? Like, God hears me the moment I say something, right? This sounds reasonable. But the reason why, but that's the problem, is they rely on reason and they don't rely on the anointing. Because there are times in, remember how I said the anointing is experiential? You have to experience it. There are times you know, I know, in prayer, that God uh, commands that you tarry for extended period of time, praying the same thing. And it isn't until an hour has transpired that he says, I've heard you and I'm granting that which I've asked of you, that which you have asked of me, right? So this is a highly relational and spiritual thing, right? Um, yeah, so I, I can continue to give descriptions of, of a difference between soulish and spiritual. Um, it's a huge difference. And they may, they may both... Uh, Fast Christ as Lord. They both they both read the same Bible, right? But the difference is one of maturity and immaturity. And the reason why people reach maturity and people don't reach maturity is because those who do well understand the Christ, have a living experiential relationship with the anointing. They're empowered by it. They obtain, as we see, uh 
Because in Christ, in the anointing, are hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So they don't gain it just from Bible alone. Let, let me show you a mystery. So you can read the Bible, right? Gain uh, verses from the Bible and not gain wisdom from it. Because the... the <sighs> The source of wisdom isn't the Bible. And, and let me say, it's going to sound controversial. Because what's more fundamental and basic than the Bible is God Himself. That's the base level, is God Himself, the anointing. And here's the Bible. And here's us. Some people just get to this, but they never get to Him. Do you see the difference? Because you, you can open this all day, but if you fail to tap into the anointing, you tap into Christ himself, you will still lack wisdom and you will still lack knowledge. It's just a blind man gaining more information on where he's to be directed to, but can't get there because he's blind. Do you see? It, it, it's... It, the anointing is what gives us perception that enables us to see and see how Christ would see. Right? That's why knowing the Old Testament wasn't enough for Saul of Tarsus. He had to meet the Christ. And until he met the Christ, then he seen. And that's why he says in Corinthians, we, Therefore we know no man after the flesh, even though we knew Jesus after the flesh. Henceforth we know him no longer after the flesh. What he's saying is we're no longer seeing him from a worldly standpoint. We're no longer seeing who he is, what he does, and what he promotes from a worldly standpoint. We now see with spiritual perception. And so... <coughs> And then he says this in verse, so in, 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 in the Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4 he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. And so Paul is telling them this because he understands that, um, Paul wouldn't warn about something if it wasn't possible for you to fall into it, right? He wouldn't say, I tell you this so that you won't be deceived because it's impossible for us to be deceived. It's not impossible. Um, why do you think even, uh, what's his name, Barnabas was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy? Uh, yeah, Barnabas, in the book of Galatians, Paul says Barnabas was even led astray by uh, Peter's prejudice and his hypocrisy. And that he had to withstand Peter to his face. Here you have a man who's been walking with Jesus for three years. He's seen, he's seen the Mount Transfiguration. He's seen the glistering white clothes, the garment. Jesus, you know, he's seen all this stuff. He, they cast out demons. They raised the dead. They were there in Acts chapter 2, praying for 10 days until the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and yet Peter is led astray. 
and leads another astray. And so Paul is warning them. It, it, let me tell you how it how it happens. It isn't it isn't conf, it, you're not confronted with a devil with horns and a pitchfork and say, "Hey, come follow me." <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Like, hey, yo, here's some crack. You want to smoke it? <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, what happens is there's an intro, an introducing of these um, small seeds of error, just little seeds of error. And it affects your walk. It may not cause you to backslide. But the devil knows if he can't get you to backslide, he's just going to throw some seeds in there to make you less effective as a Christian. Or at least torment you from here to eternity. Right? Torment you with certain doctrines or certain ideas of God. Or or uh, uh, maybe cause a hindrance in this area. If he can't stop you completely, at the very least, he's going to cause hindrances and stifle your full capacity and ability to be the most effective that you can for God. And that's what false doctrine does. It does. And it may not, you may not see the immediate effects now, but as you continue years on, 10 years, five years, what happens is a small deviation, the small, um, change in coordination you know it's kind of like um i don't know if you guys ever did a graphing in school right maybe you guys haven't maybe you guys did but what happens if you're like point zero point zero zero five off in the coordination you may not see the immediate effects but you just give it a long enough time it's completely off track right you have to be pinpoint precision to to satisfy the coordinates, right? Or if, am I giving too much technical language here? You guys did graphing before or no? Yeah? <laughs> Come on, you Europeans are smarter than us. You're smarter than us Americans. I know you guys done graphing before. Graphing? <laughs> graphing, you know how like... You know, like where you write like an X and there's like lines you have to draw and you have to connect the dots and anyways. Um, Do you mean like geometry or? I, I don't know if it's geometry. Uh, all I, it, it's like, have you guys familiar with Y axis and X axis? Of course. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes, yes. Y axis okay, and X axis? You guys familiar with that? Okay. Well, the point is this. <clears throat> if if I if, if I'm in point A and I want to get to point B, right? Let's say maybe I throw a football and I I throw I want to throw a football to point B. And I, I'm precise. Then I will tar I will hit point B. But if I'm just slightly off, like one um, percent off, you know, you the longer the distance, the more the football will be off. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So if 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 it's just a foot away, and I'm one percent off, the football is going to be very very close to the target. But if it's like a thousand miles away, and you know I launch something that's a percentage off, it's going to be probably football fields away, because the longer the distance, the the um. The longer the distance that, that something has to travel, even if it's a percentage off, there's it, it gives more time for the distance to increase and increase and increase. So my point, though, in saying that is that false doctrine works that way. Is that it might be just a minor error, but if you build your life off minor errors, it it will show more and more as the years go on. Right? And it will affect you more as the years go on and on. So, <coughs> Paul wants us to... Um, now, notice he says they're fine-sounding arguments. So, an argument is is some a claim that is provided with reasons. You know, some people want you to believe what they believe without reasoning. But then there are people who give arguments... For why you should view what they view. And that's even more convincing. And Paul is saying these, these arguments. They're fine sounding. In other words. They're pretty convincing. And he says. I want you to be aware of this stuff. Right. And so verse 5 he says. For though I am absent from you in body. I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see. Uh, how disciplined you are. And how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And so he's speaking to an audience who has received Christ as Lord. And so I think he uses the word Lord there for an important reason, because you can't grow in Him if you haven't first embraced Him as not just Savior, but Lord of your life. He, his teachings are the governing principles for your life. He calls the shots. He tells us what to do, how to think, where to go, how long to pray, what to sacrifice, right? <coughs> there is no progress in this walk if he is not Lord. And so guess what that means? That means the areas that there there may be areas where you haven't fully surrendered to him. There's maybe areas that I haven't fully surrendered to him. And he wants to dictate not out of compulsion, but out of love. He wants to dictate those those areas of ours. And he, and he 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 calls the shots. He gives the protocol. He says what will be done. And this this is the difficult part, because we all and and I'm I'm the first one to include myself in it. In it, we will all thank the Lord for the Him dying on the cross for our sins, shedding His blood for our sins. But remember, He purchased us with that price. And it says our bodies no longer belong to themselves, but unto Him who gave His life for us. Right, so then he says, 
just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. So the moment you, I still remember that when I say, Lord, I will follow you the rest of the, all the days of my life. I will turn my back on the world and I will continue forward as long as I live. I've made vows unto him. Um, as as I've heard in one of Ravenhill's uh, sermons, he says, I'm branded. And I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I'm enslaved to righteousness. I'm enslaved to him. There is no neutral ground. You don't get to not be a slave. It's just you're going to be a slave unto your own passions, your own thoughts and philosophy and the devil. Or you get to be a slave unto Christ. And both come at a price. See, we live in a day and age where we think Christianity is without price. As I've heard it said before, we want maximum blessing with minimal investment. We want maximum blessings from God in minimum uh, deposits and sacrifices of prayer and obedience. It doesn't work that way. It will tap into all that you are. It will strain you. Right? Not because we're trying to earn God's favor. It isn't because we're trying to earn His favor. There's nothing we can do to earn grace. But it's to live out that which He has invested in us. Right? And sometimes the decisions that you make for God are going to hurt. Very much so. You may have to kiss certain relationships goodbye. You may have to kiss certain career prospects goodbye. You may have to kiss some of these things goodbye. But there's always a reason for it in the economy of heaven. And that may not even be disclosed to you. God may not tell you why. But this is where you have to decide, am I going to be a slave of Christ or a slave of my passions? For example, years back uh, in 2016, I aspired to be an officer. And I could have easily justified it and said, well, this is an open door. Because I was passing all of my exams and, and was doing very well. And I, I, I could have looked at, at that as favor, right? I, someone could easily say, oh, well, this is favor from the Lord, right? <clears throat> but I, I remember God was tugging at my heart and said that, um, no, you, you, no, I haven't called you to do that. And I was trying to rationalize and say, well, God, you know, you're a God of justice. I can bring righteousness on the streets and bring justice to the streets and stuff like that. And uh, my heart was right. That's the thing. Ah, that, that's the thing. We say our, our hearts are right and what we want, right? And it was. My, I, I, I had no ego involved, nothing. I really wanted to help people. And this was at a time where in America there was a lot of crime because Trump just got voted president. So there was a lot of looting and, and, and crime in the streets and, and riots. And so I seen that and I was like, man, I don't want to see that going on in my streets. I want to fight against it. And so, um, and, but I remember responding to an altar call one day, you know, just to receive prayer. I went to a visited church. The pastor didn't know me. 
and God gave him a word to speak to me and the Lord said that has to die on the altar and I, I was I was disappointed I was sad because I really wanted to do that and God never told me why who knows today I could be dead if I chose that route I could be dead and then what because I, I wanted to I thought my wisdom was more wise than the Almighty and I therefore did not want to submit myself to his ways I died with potential kingdom potential in the grave that would be a tragedy even if my heart was right what a tragedy didn't die from drugs didn't die from being backslidden didn't die no died with all that wealth in the spirit locked up in that body of mine that I never lived out because I decided to say no to Jesus in that area he wasn't Lord in that area but thanks be to God that he grant me the strength to say you're Lord even in this area and that's how you know that you've come to be that's how you know that you're maturing as a Christian that it's not sin that he says to leave behind it's good things he says leave behind and you submit your mind to his to his mandate you submit your mind to what he has declared for you to do right that's where tr proverbs 3 5 trust in the lord with all your heart lean not to your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight don't rationalize his commands and and again this is the challenging part because god will tell you to do something and he won't even give you a reason why who he is is enough he's already built a case to our hearts that what he says in his directions and in his instructions can be trusted because let me make this very clear and then we'll move on to the following verse there is no neutral ground. The, the moment we say no to Jesus, we are in effect saying yes to the devil. There's, there isn't a neutral ground. You, every time you say no to Christ, you are saying yes to the devil. Because he is always standing there with an invitation to follow his wisdom. What does the Bible say in James? That the wisdom of this world is demonic, cannot be entreated. Right? But the wisdom of God is full of good fruits. So th there, there are two standing at attention. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. And Paul says, I don't want you to be deceived by that nonsense. He says, so then you just receive Christ as Lord. Continue to live your lives in him. So you have to do it. You must continue. You have, you have the capacity to continue or discontinue this relationship. And let me, let, me, let me solemnly warn us here. You can cut your days short. As, as sobering as this is, you know, you know some, for some, the Lord will cut your life short if you backslide. He'll take you out. 
I'm not just saying that from experience or anything like that. I'm saying that from the Bible. Remember those who in the book of Corinthians were handling communion in, uh, communion in an unworthy manner? What did Paul say? He says, for this reason, some of you have fallen asleep, have become sick, or have become weak. So you want to know how you're out of alignment with God? Weakness creeps in. You're weak. You have no grace, no power in the Spirit. That's why when, for example, certain people who, who want to be in a, a you know, <laughs> you know, there, there was a, there was this uh, sister some time back that was a real good friend of my wife, and uh, she would love to rationalize everything. She's like, oh, you know, I met this guy. Uh, and we read the Bible together. <laughs> we even we even uh, watch sermons together, right? Sounds good. Yay! Awesome! <laughs> you want us to congratulate you, right? No, no. Uh, that's what you want, but that's not what I'm gonna do. Because and and be, that, that's that's the unfortunate thing. Because sometimes people want you to celebrate and they'll they'll give you all these highlights hey we even watched paul washer together or leonard ravenhill we read the bible oh that's cool so who is he what is he about where does he come from i don't care about all that what is who is this guy right and try to clean it up with spiritual language oh he's from god he's from god you know Giving us all this nonsense. All the right words, but hid from us all the other stuff, right? It's kind of like editing what you want on your resume or on your job application, right? Like, unfortunately, today, when my job applications ask me if I'm a felon, I have to put yes. I, I have felony charges. I don't get to edit that. Just because it looks good, what's the truth? What is the truth? And the truth will set you free. A lying tongue endures only for a moment, but truth is durable. It lasts. Right? Now, <coughs> um, where was I going with this? Oh, oh. Well, this guy, I told her, I, I, I told her, I said, sis, I know from the Lord this man is not from God. You got to cut him off. And and this this is the unfortunate consequences of those who don't like to listen to prophets. This man almost killed her. He crept in her house and literally tried to choke her to death. Oh, he's from God? Right? He's from God, and 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 tried to kill, uh, rape his do her daughter. Foolishness, foolishness. And 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 don't. What I'm gonna say is is this. I will say what Paul said to the Corinthian church: "You fool, who has bewitched you?" Who has beguiled you? What just because you want to preserve a little bit of emotions? Yeah, and go to hell with him too.
Because that's the end result. No. No, God forbid. And even if you, you know, and thank the Lord that she was preserved. Thank the Lord she was. But it was not without pain. Now she had to go to court and testify against a man that that molested her, her daughter. It's, it's all fun and games. Take what God says to you seriously. And let me let me just say this. If I ever say something solemnly and, and I, I am, you know, I, I can be reasoned with in dialogue and, and you know, we talk about. But when I say something's from God, know that I have a track record. This is from the Lord. And, and, and don't be deceived. And don't take it, don't dismiss it and just, you know, because I don't say that stuff uh, uh, like a fool. And, and it's because God is trying to get something to you. Amen. It's because th there's some things that he's trying to, some things that he doesn't want you to partake in. And God forbid that your life should, should be cut short, man. Because it can happen. Right? Our lives can be cut short. And so we want to be consistent with the wisdom of God. We want to be consistent with the knowledge of God. We want to walk in His ways because in His ways we obtain freedom. Hallelujah. The Lord wants us to call. He want, he's calling us to freedom, to joy, to prosperity, to protection, to deliverance. That's what he's calling us to. He says, the, the plans that I have for you are not to harm you, but to give you a good hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Right? But what does the devil do? He says, oh, I'm going to pitch this idea to you. This is much better. And the end thereof is destruction. The ways, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are unto death. Remember? Proverbs. It's, it's the ways are unto death. And so, let me give you this, this one other tip in relationship to that. One of the ways that you know that you are heading down to a path of death is you don't listen to anybody. And this is something I have to continue to reemphasize. Because if you're the sole standard of truth, here's how deceptive the devil works. Some people, they will say, my only standard for truth is the Bible. But they cherry pick it to just to satisfy what it is that they want to do. And and uh, they won't receive correction. Ever. And so, you know, this is coming from someone that I, I, I've, I haven't been uh, wanting of, of correction. I've been corrected many times. And I, I know that there's obnoxious ways to do that. That's not what I'm advocating for. I'm not saying that we should be arrogant in the way that we correct people. Never that. We should be, you know, very uh, humble. The spirit of meekness, concern, care, love. And, and back it up with the Bible and, and wisdom and the Lord's knowledge. But if, if um, here's something I like to ask people. <clears throat> I like to ask him, when was the last time you were wrong? When was the last time you were corrected by someone? Not you correcting yourself, because there ain't no, there's no uh, 
uh, hurt pride in that. If you catch yourself, it's like you can hide it and you don't have to tell anybody, right? But if someone else does, that can hurt your pride. That can hurt your ego. That can make you feel less than. And so I like to ask that question for people I suspect are arrogant. And if they can't think of the last time, it's because, hey, buddy, you're arrogant. You are so proud you cannot see. And, um, you know, my, my wife will tell you, um, I'm actually, I, forgive me, I hope I don't get in trouble with this. I'm the first to apologize a lot of times. <laughs> my wife knows I'm humble. And that sounds arrogant to someone who thinks, I, I just know that I know, I know that I'm referring to myself, but I know that I, if I see something's wrong and I'm wrong, I will say I am wrong. Please forgive me. I've, I've made a mistake. But I, I do tell her, I say, I kind of am right a lot of the time. A great, great percentage of the time I'm right. <laughs> I've I've learned from a lot of mistakes. But no, a lot of the credit doesn't go to myself. Um, it's just that I've been privileged to have um, wise voices in my life that help challenge me and help to show some of those blind spots in my life. Just being very studious to always look at the scriptures, examine myself, praying, God, please examine me. May there be no uh, hidden faults in my life. Uh, being very scrupulous of my own life and putting that uh, under God's examination bar. Because I'd rather be corrected in the dark than be humiliated in the light. I, I don't want that. Amen. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of that. I don't want that. And so I, 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 I reckon the pain of saying I'm wrong here is short and temporary and it's only going to profit my life. Because if I say that I'm correct in this darkness, if I say I'm correct and I'm not, then I'm creating darkness for my life. And I can't be led by darkness. There's no way. I need a lamp. I need a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Do you see? And so the way that you will secure light for you is those admissions of error. I'm wrong. And you can progress forward that way. <clears throat> um, but he says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. So you have to be rooted. The way that you are rooted in him is you take the totality of his teachings not just cherry picking the teachings of Christ. You have to be you have to take all that he has taught us, all that he has commanded. Right? And we have to root our lives in that. We have to root it. We have to dig very deep. And those teachings have to go deep. Those teachings have to go very deep 
And he says built up. So once we're rooted, then we're built up. And guess what it takes? It takes work and it takes effort to construct a building. Right? The building, you know what Ray Comfort says? We know there's a builder because a building don't build itself. Right? He always uses that. If you guys ever watch his videos? <clears throat> um, well, a building ain't going to build itself. <clears throat> it's not just going to, boop, you know, you know, appear out of thin air. There's work, there's effort. <clears throat> and, um, yes, it's a strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We're, we're coming to a close. Um, yeah, so it just kind of reinforces what he said previously um, about deceptive philosophy and uh, it's hollow and and sometimes it looks good. It sounds good, it looks good, but it, it's not good. And I've used this example before, um, but you know the the two kids who asked their father if they can watch a rated R movie, and they're like. Please, please, please. Uh, there's only a little bit of cussing in it. There's only a little bit of cussing or nudity or gore or whatever. <clears throat> he says, oh, yeah, let me think about it. Like, oh, thanks, Dad. And so they return back to him the following day. And they're like, yeah, so can we watch the movie? And he's oh, yes, yes, you can. But, hey, you know, in addition to that, I, I baked you guys your favorite chocolate cake. And they're like, they're excited about it. And then uh, he says, ah, before you dig in, he says, I, I, I have to remind you. He says, ah, there's a little bit of feces in it. Just a little bit, right? A little bit of excrement, a little bit of, you know, however you guys call it in, you know, you're, you know. So um, the point, though, is this, that the little bit contaminates the whole. We don't want, we don't want that little bit. Right, and so they got the idea real quick. Yeah, just because there's a little bit of this, it doesn't matter. Because remember what the I think the uh, Solomon said in the Song of Songs: uh, the little foxes destroy the vineyards. And the the little things can manifest to be huge things, and uh, so let's uh, by the grace of God. We, we will walk in wisdom. We walk in knowledge and, and self-discipline. Um, let, let us turn real quickly. This, this is the last passage we'll read. Ephesians 4. Because he talks about being built up in him. And um, I'm reminded of, of Ephesians 4. And I just want to give... Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 9 I believe and sometimes I can't find these books <clears throat> yes Ephesians no excuse me Ephesians 4 verse 11 so it says Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. All right, so there's that word again, that we may be built up. <clears throat> Until we all reach the unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. So there's a number of descriptions there we see. Is that in order to be built up, <clears throat> we have to reach the unity of the faith. Right, We have to reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, so we have to grow in our knowledge of God. Right, And and the end is that we would become mature. Right, The end is that we would become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It says, verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul was just warning about deceptive philosophy. And he says, if you're mature, you're not going to be tossed back and forth by this by this junk. Right? <clears throat> and here's the thing. <clears throat> it's not just teachings in terms of Mormonism, uh, you know, uh, Islam, you know, all these other things. While that certainly plays a role. But remember, anything that draws you away from Christ is a human philosophy. Anything that subtracts from the obedience to the Lord's word in your life is a doctrine. It's a teaching from the devil or from your own mind. And so a decision to go right when Jesus says left, you're, you are being infected by thoughts other than Christ's. <clears throat> and we, we are not to be tossed back and forth. That's why you know certain believers whose lives are unstable... That's an indication that they're listening to different opinions. They're listening to different philosophies. Christ's word is not the uh, uh, ruling factor in their lives. It says, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Remember, too, if Eve was deceived in the garden, we can be deceived now. Satan didn't say, you know, go cut off a chicken's head and then offer this on an altar. He didn't say, here, cast a spell on someone. He just said, do the very thing that God told you not to do. And then what happened? Corruption, decay, and death entered mankind. Once she then presented that fruit to Adam and then he fell, right? So... It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become mature in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So this is a corporate instruction. That means that we are connected together. Christ is the head, and we are connected as each part is doing as each body part is doing its job. And as we speak the truth in love. <clears throat> this is why, you know, corporate prayer meetings are so important. Is because you, you're fueled by the fire of another. And as you hear these prayers offered unto the Lord, it fuels your faith. And then there are aspects and there's gleanings and aspects that this person, the, the following person has learned from Christ, that they therefore pray unto him that you glean from 
and and you glean from their fire you're fueled by their fire and so you just have this um collection of wisdom collection of knowledge collection of fire that that uh uh supplies itself and it generates life right it's like in the world right you know sometimes you probably didn't want to fight someone, but someone in the crowd is instigating you to fight. They're like, ah, oh, come on. Like, you know, just, you know, whatever they say to instigate a fight. So they're adding fuel to that, but it's death that they're speaking. So it works in the world and it works in the church, right? And so we have to, uh, we have to continue to speak the truth in love. Not just speak the truth, but speak it in love. Right, because truth, truth apart from a loving and meek heart, can actually sometimes do more damage than it does good. Um, and so, yes. 